Greetings and welcome back. Why am I welcoming myself back? It's uh, Holy Crap Fit Sports, episode number 477 for a Wednesday, August 24th, 2022. Thank you for your patience. I've been gone a week. I just needed to be tanned, rested, and ready for the big push. College football starts this weekend. Let's see, we got uh, the Braves and baseball uh, going into the final push for the playoffs, and then we'll have the NFL starting up uh, pretty soon after college football. So I took a break, as I usually do in August, and now I'm back, and we're ready to rock and roll into the winter. Well, fall first and all that stuff. But thanks for putting up for me not being here for about a week. That's the thing. It's the longest I've ever gone away from doing this. I usually just do a few days, but this time it was a week, and it was luxurious. Just laying around watching TV and writing and walking and just enjoying uh, not having to be anywhere and do anything. But I'm revving and ready to go. Let's get back to it, shall we? As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Pete Davis One. Uh, you can, let's see, uh, write me, Pete Davis One at yahoo.com. If you'd like to be a patron of this show, if you like the show, if you miss the show, let us know. Just a cheeseburger a month. Patreon.com. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Just look up Holy Crap in Sports, and it's right there. And let's see what else. Uh, that's pretty much No, no, no. T-shirts. If you want a T-shirt, Holy Crap in Sports T-shirts. Drink up Shriners, whatever. Uh, you can go to farmhouseprintingco.com and get all your T-shirt needs. In fact, you can do your own T-shirts there. And uh, Thanksgiving's coming up. It's good to have family T-shirts and stuff like that. All right, headlines for Wednesday, August 24th. Ozzy's back. Well, kind of. The Braves win and win again. In fact, they just swept the Pirates. It's about uh, 4.23 p.m. Atlanta time on Wednesday, and the Braves have just won 14-2 to sweep up there in uh, Pittsburgh. Ronald Acuna Jr. has a funny commercial out, and Bally Sports South has an annoying habit that they can easily fix. The Dodgers have taken a big blow. Shohei Otani may not be long for SoCal. Uh, college football begins this weekend, and here's some new rules to look out for, plus startling allegations of sexual abuse surrounding a Southern college football team. Nick Saban is once again top dog. A volunteer may soon be a convict. The coach made famous in the book, movie, and TV show Friday Night Lights has blown his last whistle. The Falcons look great. The Falcons suck. A tale of two halves, and they make some more cuts, and they set their death chart today. Uh, the death of an NFL legend. Just how close was Tom Brady to becoming a Raider? And by the way, they've started the Julio Jones PR machine again. He's looking great down there in Tampa Bay. He's going to lead them back to the Super Bowl. That sucker will play four games. Anyway, uh, what else we got here? Uh, a Hawks player party so hard he made TMZ. <laughs> Uh, how watching the Little League World Series can be disheartening at times and proof that the old-timers were tougher baseball players. We also got Pete's tweets, this day in sports history, birthdays you share, all kinds of good stuff. Let me get a drink of water here. Let me come over here. Let me get this for a second. All right, I'm going to be right back. All right, I'm back. Here we go. Take us a drink of water. Mm-mm-mm. Ah. Mother's Milk. Braves beat the Pirates Tuesday night up in Pittsburgh 6-2, to uh, two, I believe, or 1, something like that, scoring five runs in the fifth without benefit of a home run. Uh, they got six straight hits last night after Ronald singles someone like, uh, uh, well, he singled someone like Ozzy was yelling at him from the uh, bench. And uh, I haven't seen Acuna smile like that in weeks, by the way. It was great to see Ozzy Albies on this road trip as he continues to get ready to come back from his broken foot. He took batting practice and ran the bases, and soon he's going to be off to a minor league team to rehab. So what happens to Vaughn Grissom when Ozzy returns? Well, if Grissom is still hitting way over 300, in fact, 
think he'd be over 400 now, then I expect you'll see him spell Ozzy at second and also find himself roaming left field. Meanwhile, Grissom got the Bucks' attention when he slid hard into second base on a ground ball last night. His momentum carried him over the bag and into the legs of the second baseman Rodolfo Castro, who couldn't make the throw to first. The look on Castro's face was of shock and anger. Grissom got congratulations all around for the totally above-board slide, including a glad hand from old-school manager Brian Snicker. I saw Ronald Acuna's TV commercial yesterday. It's for Snickers, the candy bar, and has him confusing a delivery man needing a signature for a package as a fan wanting his autograph, and it's actually pretty funny. It's a short little commercial, but it's pretty funny. And Bally Sports does a great job broadcasting the Braves. Just a little nitpick here. Sometimes, when the Bravos make a great play for the third out, they quickly go to commercials before showing the replay. It would be nice to see it before going to break. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, let's see. The Braves have just won 14-2. to I'll be getting to the particulars of that coming up in Pete's tweets. Uh, the highlights, uh, Contreras hit a solo homer, and then Matt Olson hit a grand slam that landed in the river. Now, is it the Allegheny, the Monongahela? Or the Ohio, because we're right there at the confluence. I think it's pretty much the Ohio at that point, isn't it? Or it's close to the confluence. But anyway, he hit one in the water, which is pretty cool up there as the Braves win 14-2. Kyle Wright wins again, and uh, they're looking good right now. The Braves are pretty close to the Mets, yet the Metropolitans definitely have an advantage. Their remaining schedule on paper looks easier than Atlanta's. It was great, though, to read a New York Post columnist lamenting the fact the Mets are in the same division as the defending world champions. <laughs> oh. Um, think a little bit about that game today, uh, the Braves sweeping. So they were two games behind the Mets going into today's action. Now, So now they're a game and a half. I think the Mets are off today. So I think, don't quote me on that. But anyway, so it's at least a one and a half right now. Padres oft-injured shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. finally met the media Tuesday in San Diego, said he was sorry in both English and Spanish, lo siento, for letting down the fans, his teammates, and the franchise for getting suspended for 80 games for taking a PED. He still claims it was for a skin condition, maybe ringworm. Says it was in the Dominican Republic. I don't care if it was on Mars. You got enough money to have your own, your own personal physician look at it and say, nope, you can't take this. I wonder if it was a skin condition that made him get on that motorcycle a few times and crash it more than once. Remember, he laughed about that. They said, was it the motorcycle crash that hurt your wrist? And he goes, which crash? <laughs> Hopefully he gets his act together and grows up. But at this point, he can say anything. It's what he does that will decide his reputation. Right now, it's pretty low. Dodgers got a huge blow when Walker Bueller announced he needs a second Tommy John surgery. He had one seven years ago after being drafted. Bueller will miss all of next season. He is 28 years old, so he's going to be around 30 when he gets back. And a special moment for Astros outfielder Jordan Alvarez last night in Houston. For the first time as a major leaguer and first time since 2014, his father, mother, and brother got to watch him play in person. Why? Because it took that long for the communist government in Cuba to allow them to leave. Can you believe that in the year of our Lord 2022? There are still countries on this planet that continue to keep their citizens locked up behind walls and has nothing to do with the China virus. It's all about politics. Makes you want to take these little shites wearing Che Guevara t-shirts and wring their pencil necks. Angels longtime owner Artie Moreno is looking to selling the team. He bought them right after they won their World Series in 2002. And for a while they won divisions. 
but they've sucked for the most part, despite having the best player in baseball twice, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Speaking of which, I bet Shohei gets out of there as soon as he can. I was listening to one of the guys covering the team on high heat with Chris Russo this morning after he finished yelling at uh, that other guy on uh, ESPN. Uh, basically on the MLB Network, and he was talking about how Shohei's probably out of there. If he doesn't force a trade between now and the end of uh, 2024, he ain't going to be there in 2024. Meanwhile, the Onion is covering the uh, Little League World Series, Dateline Topeka, Kansas, which is not where the World Series is being held. As he sat on his couch and watched the tournament on television Wednesday, 39-year-old Joshua Miller admitted he felt ancient upon realizing he was older than everyone playing in the Little League World Series. I had never really thought about it, but suddenly you hear that the catcher is turning 11, and you're like, criminy, where did my life go, said Miller, appearing solemn as he took a sip of an IPA and ran his fingers through his receding hairline. It really makes you feel your age. I mean, I used to look up to guys who played in the Little League World Series, and now I'm what, at least 27 years older than everybody on the field? Most Little Leaguers peak around age 12 or so and retire by the time they're 13, so I'm more than a little past my prime. I always meant to make something more of myself, but I guess that ship sailed a long time ago. (laughs) He added in retrospect that he wished he had worked harder and applied himself when he was young so he could have gotten into a better middle school. Let's go to college football because it starts up this weekend. Underway, that's right, this weekend. So gird your loins and pass the popcorn because here we go. Now here's some new rules to learn, so here they are. Players ejected in the second halves of games for targeting might not be suspended for the first half of the next game. It depends on the results of an appeal. So it's arbitrary. Uh, Schools and conferences can report the potential faking of injuries to the national coordinator of officials, which could lead to penalties for the school involved. Uh, Once again, how are they going to prove it? Only linemen and stationary backs inside the tackle box can block below the waist. Ball carriers who simulate a feet-first slide like then-Pittsburgh quarterback Kenny Pickett famously did in the ACC championship game, they will be ruled down at the spot. Defensive holding is an automatic first down in addition to the 10-yard penalty now. Replay officials can adjust the clock if a ruling is overturned with less than two minutes remaining in the game or first half. And finally, illegal touching by an ineligible player is a loss of down in addition to the five-yard penalty. Mom, he's touching me. Take a sip here. So there are some new rules which we'll forget about, and we'll start yelling at the referees for doing them during the season because we forget about it. Nick Saban is once again the highest-paid football coach at a public university. Uh, Yeah, they're still calling Alabama that. Uh, The Board of Trustees approved a one-year extension and a raise for Saban uh, yesterday. The amended deal runs through February of 2030, and it's going to pay him an average of $11.7 million American dollars per year, which edges Saban's annual compensation over that of Georgia coach Kirby Smart, who signed a new deal earlier in the offseason that pays him an average of $11.2 million over 10 years. This next story is rather graphic. If there are any kids listening right now in the car or whatever, you may want to fast-forward this and go back and listen to it later when there's no kids around. It's about the Volunteers linebacker William Mohan suspended indefinitely after his arrest Sunday on a felony domestic aggravated assault charge. Uh, Knoxville Police Department uh, say that officers responded to a domestic disturbance Saturday. Mohan had already left the scene when officers got there. A woman told officers she had had invited him over but realized when he got there that he was drunk. She told officers or intoxicated. 
She told the uh, cops that uh, she attempted to rush Mohan to her room to avoid waking up her roommates and that he tried to initiate sexual intercourse with her. Uh, Mohan became aggressive toward her when she denied his advances. He allegedly used one hand to grab her face and the other to choke her by her throat and pull her toward him. The woman told police she screamed and pulled away from Mohan's grasp, got out of bed to grab the iron on her desk and demanded he leave. She said Mohan was standing on her bed and refused to leave, at which point she went to the kitchen and got a knife. Lovely relationship. When she re-entered the bedroom with the knife, she again asked him to leave. He grabbed her by the throat with one hand and took the knife away with the other. At that time, her roommate entered the bedroom and told Mohan to leave. He eventually gathered his belongings and left, but began knocking on the door a short time later, calling the woman's name, and she let him back into the apartment. And then he passed out on the couch. She told the police she started calling numbers on Mohan's phone to get him a ride home. A warrant was issued for his arrest. Police got him the next day. He's got a preliminary hearing scheduled for September 16th. Mohan's a redshirt sophomore, played a lot on special teams last season, is a reserve linebacker, had transferred to Tennessee from Michigan before the 2021 season. Never let him back in. Anyway, Saturday Down South reporting that Jacksonville State is claiming a rival team is spying on them. Okay. And just in case you were wondering where former West Virginia and Michigan head coach Rich Rodriguez was, uh, J-State head coach Rodriguez accused his opponent, Stephen F. Austin, of spying. Uh, said he had a pretty good sources saying this is true, saying it's not really supposed to happen, but we're making plans accordingly. They're over there thinking they have our plays and what have you, our signals or something like that. We've changed them since the spring. Then we caught somebody trying to film something the other day. Says he saw a Stephen F. Austin rep at practice and said he sent the biggest guy in the program up into the bleachers to snuff him out. That guy disappeared pretty quick, according to Rich Rodriguez. Still crazy after all these years. A former Troy University football player has filed a lot. Now, okay, this is graphic too, if there's any kids listening. Uh, the player at Troy has filed a lawsuit against an ex-teammate and three of the coaches, saying he was abused, uh, including being sexually assaulted with a pool cue. The lawsuit filed in federal court in Montgomery, Alabama, names former Troy punter, uh, Jack Dawson, special teams coordinators Brian Blackman and Dane Brown, and Jamal Smith, who's director of player development. AP is not using the name of the player who sued because it typically does not identify people who report acts of sexual assault. If I had his name, I'd say it because I said the other guy's names. But anyway, the suit contends that the plaintiff was bullied because of perception that he was gay. The player was lying on his stomach on the floor of the player's lounge watching a football game on his phone when he felt excruciating pain from the alleged attack. A video circulated on social media showed it, which occurred as others watched and laughed. The complaint, which is filed back in July, alleges Title IX violations, sexual harassment, discrimination, negligence, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and harassment and molestation and violence. The former player is seeking compensatory and punitive damage. These are not how we want to start college football, these stories, but here we are. The three coaches knew about the abuse and did nothing to stop it, the suit says. Only Smith remains on Troy's staff. The alleged abuse occurred under the previous coaching staff. The plaintiff reported the pull cue assault uh, to the Troy University Police in December of 2020. He left the university soon after and suffered from bleeding, lingering physical pain, and depression. Uh, Dawson's attorney uh, and the Troy spokesman, 
told AL.com that Dawson and the university deny the allegations and will fight the suit in court. Dawson was J-State's uh, starting punter last season. So we'll see what happens with that. Okay, it's safe to come back, I believe, here. Marshall running back Rasheen Ali, who tied the uh, FBS lead in rushing touchdowns last season, is now taking time away from the team and is going to miss the start of the season. Coach Charles Huff says there's no timetable on Ali's return. He's a redshirt sophomore from Ohio, rushed for 1,401 yards and 23 TDs on 250 carries last year. He and BYU's Tyler Algier shared the FBS lead for rushing touchdowns. Algier now uh, running back for the Atlanta Falcons and playing very well. We'll get to that in just a second or a minute or two. Meanwhile, some sad news here. Gary Gaines, coach of the Texas high school football team, made famous in the book and movie Friday Night Lights, has died. He was 73. Family said the former coach died Monday in Lubbock, a long battle with Alzheimer's disease. Gaines made many stops in West Texas during a 30-year coaching career, best known for a four-year stint leading the highly successful program at Odessa Permian. Gaines returned to Permian later in his career. By the way, the coldest I've ever been in my life was in Odessa, Texas. After three years in San Diego, never seeing freezing temperatures, we, we left Tucson. It was in the 90s, me and my dad. Didn't stop again until like 2 or 3 in the morning at a gas station in Odessa, Texas. Got out, and it was, it, I swear the windshield was 30 below because the wind was howling. It was starting to snow. And I couldn't even stand at the pump. I had to just go. I remember going inside and calling my girlfriend back in San Diego saying, can I come home? Anyway, it was cold. Anyway, uh, Gaines, uh, let's see, in 1988, uh, the team was chronicled in Buzz Bissinger's best-selling book, which portrayed a program in school that favored football over academics. Gaines in the movie was played by Billy Bob Thornton, 2004 film. Says he never read the book and he felt betrayed by Buzz after the author spent the entire 88 season with the team. The book portrayed Gaines as a compassionate coach caught in the win-at-all-cost culture of a high school program in football craze Texas. It was also turned into a TV series. By the way, full disclosure, I've never seen, I've never read the book, and I've never seen the movie or the, or the TV show. Uh, I probably should, but I haven't. Gaines led Permian to the fifth of the program's six state championships with a perfect season in 89, then left to become an assistant coach at Texas Tech. He later coached two of Permian's rivals, Abilene High and San Angelo Central, before returning to college as the coach at Abilene Christian. Another four-year run as Permian's coach started in 2009, and Gaines also was a school district athletic director in Odessa and Lubbock. And it looks like Dr. Pepper's successful Fansville ad campaign is back for another season, despite what looked like a good buy commercial last year. And Alabama quarterback Bryce Young will be part of Fansville after signing an NIL deal. I'm still looking for caffeine-free Dr. Pepper anywhere, and Bryce is getting millions, anyway, or thousands. NFL news, the Falcons looked unstoppable in the first half of Monday night's game against the J-E-T-S Jets in New Jersey, jumping out to a 16-0 lead behind Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter in a geeked-up defense. But they allowed New York to eke out a field goal as the first half ended, and that was the beginning of a 24 unanswered points as they won 24-16. The Jets did. If we learned one thing from the rainy game is that Felipe Franks is good for running the ball at the goal line, but he's no NFL quarterback. Sheesh. He, ah. The Falcons made a series of roster moves yesterday afternoon to meet or Tuesday afternoon to meet the 80-man roster limit. Receivers Alden Tate and Geronimo Allison, defensive back Lafayette Pitts, and outside linebacker Kuoni Dung cut. 
And defensive lineman Jalen Dalton waived with an injury. Dalton practiced with first and second units uh, on the defensive line. Started Monday night's preseason game against the Jets. Grady Jarrett didn't play. If Dalton clears waivers, he'll revert to the Falcons' injured reserve and be out for the season unless an injury settlement is reached. Excuse me, the Falcons have one more roster cut remaining, needing to trim it to 53 on August 30th. Well, let me tell you about the depth chart, which came down earlier today. Mm-hmm. It's weird. I haven't talked this much in a week, so my throat's drying out. Okay, here's the depth chart as of today on the Falcons. Uh, let's see, wide receiver, the starters. I'm going to mispronounce some of these guys, so sorry. Uh, Kaderil Hodge. The backup's Damier Bird. And the reserve is Drake London. Huh. He's the rookie that they – anyway. Tied in Kyle Pitts, backed up by Anthony Ferkser and Felipe Franks. Uh, left tackle, Jake Matthews. Behind him, Rick Leonard and Leroy Watson. Left guard, Elijah Wilkinson. Then Jalen Mayfield and Justin Schaefer. At center, we got Matt Hennessy or Drew Dahlman. And behind them, Ryan Newsel. Right guard, Chris Lindstrom. Behind him, Colby Gossett. I've seen him play a lot so far preseason. And Jonathan Harrison behind him. Right tackle, uh, Caleb McGarry. Then Jermaine Effetti. And then Tyler Vrabel. And tight end, Parker Hess. Or Hesse. Uh, Michael Pruitt. Michael. And John Fitzpatrick. Or Fitz John Patrick or something. I don't know. Wide receiver, Olamide Zacchaeus had a touchdown catch against the Jets. Then Brian Edwards, Frank Darby, Cameron Batson, Stanley Berryhill, and Jared Bernhardt. He's the lacrosse player. He's looked very good so far. He even has been returning some kicks, too. Running back, Cordell Patterson, Damian Williams, Keith Smith, Cadre Allison, Caleb Huntley. <coughs> Excuse me. Huntley doesn't impress me much right now. Hopefully it gets better. Uh, Avery Williams, John Rain, and Tyler Algier. He will not be last for long. Uh, quarterback, of course, Marcus Mariota, uh, Desmond Ritter, and Felipe Franks. Uh, defense, uh, defensive linemen here. We got starters Grady Jarrett, Anthony Rush, Taquan Graham. Uh, behind them, we got Abdullah Anderson, Nick Thurman, Marlon Davidson, Timothy Horn, Derek Tangelo, and Darian Daniels. Outside linebacker, Ada Tukumbu Ogundeji. Hey, that's pretty good. Arnold, uh, oh God, Arnold Ebek. Ebicady. That's right. Arnold Ebicady. Linebackers, the starting linebackers. We've got Michael Walker, Rashawn Evans, by hand him Nick Kwiatkowski, Dorian Etheridge, Troy Anderson, and Nathan Landman. Outside linebacker, Lorenzo Carter. <coughs> Did I say the other guy on offense was a linebacker like an idiot? Let me look at that again. Sorry. Uh, no, I don't think I did. Anyway. Outside, we did that. We did that. Uh, da, da, da. Outside linebacker, another outside linebacker, Lorenzo Carter is a starter. Then Quentin Bell, Jordan Brailford, and D'Angelo Malone. Cornerback, we got two starters, A.J. Terrell and Casey Hayward Jr. Behind them, you got Mike Ford, Darren Hall, Corey Ballantyne, Isaiah Oliver, Matt Hankins, and D. Alford. Alford's you know, looked pretty good so far. And two safety stars, Richie Grant and Jalen Hawkins. Behind them, Eric Harris. Dean Marlowe, Henry Black, and Tease Tabor, T-E-E-Z. I hope he makes it just for that name. Special teams, let's see what we got here. Kicker, of course, Young Wei Koo. Punter, Bradley Pinion. Uh, let's see, long snapper, Liam McCullough. And then you got, uh, well, it's a punt returner, Avery Williams. Kickoff returner, Avery Williams. Hiker, Bradley Pinion. 
Sad news here. Lynn Dawson led the Kansas City Chiefs to victory in Super Bowl IV, was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame as both a player and broadcaster, has died at the age of 87, according to his family. Remember, before I went on vacation, he had gone into hospice. With wife Linda at his side, is with much sadness we inform you of the passing of our beloved Lynn Dawson. Uh, the family sent the statement to KMBC and KC, where Lawson previously worked as a sports broadcaster. Dawson, I'm sorry. He was a wonderful husband, father, brother, and friend. Lynn was always grateful and many times overwhelmed by the countless bonds he made during his football and broadcast careers. He loved Kansas City, and no matter where his travels took him, he could not wait to return home. Dawson, who had entered hospice, hospice uh, August 12th in KC, worked for the Chiefs for nearly a half century, 14 years as quarterback, 33 as a broadcast analyst. He spent the first five years of his 19-season pro career as a sparingly used backup for the Steelers and Browns, but his career took off after he signed in 1962 to play for the AFL's Dallas Texans, soon to be the Kansas City Chiefs, to play under Hank Stram, who had been an assistant at Purdue during Dawson's stellar collegiate career. The man Stram once called the most accurate passer in pro football immediately showed he was worthy of being a team's number one QB, leading the AFL in completion percentage at 61, earning the 62 Player of the Year honors while carrying the Texans to the league title. After moving to KC the next year, the team's success continued under Dawson, a seven-time All-Star Pro Bowler, twice a first-team All-Pro. In 66, he took the Chiefs to another AFL title for the first time in a trip to what would become known as the Super Bowl. He played well. He was 16 of 27 for 211 yards, but the Chiefs were overmatched by Vince Lombardi's Packers, a 35 to 10 loss. The Chiefs were back three seasons later to face the Vikings in Super Bowl IV. Despite Joe Namath and the Jets upsetting the Baltimore Colts the previous year, the NFL was still seen as superior, and the Vikings came in as a double-digit favorite. This was the first Super Bowl I remember. I was downstairs. I watched the first half. Then I got bored because I was like nine years old. So I went downstairs to play pool. I remember my dad yelling down the stairs, The Chiefs won! Uh, the defense dominated. Dawson played a typically strong game. He was 12 of 17 in Super Bowl IV, 142 yards, a 46-yard touchdown pass to Otis Taylor. God, I love watching him play. He, he was great at jumping up and catching the ball. Uh, sealed the 23-7 victory. He was selected, Dawson was, the second-team quarterback behind Namath on the AFL's all-time team in 1970. Elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a player in 87, as a broadcaster in 2012. His sports anchor at the TV station there in Kansas City. Went on to become an analyst for games for NBC, as well as the longtime co-host of HBO's Inside the NFL with Nick Bonacani. I told this before, that was the show you had to watch. After a series of health issues that included prostate cancer and quadruple heart bypass surgery, Dawson retired from broadcasting in 2017, following 33 years as the radio color analyst. Remained a beloved figure in the city, even though he cut back on public appearances. When his health began to fail, always had time for a photograph. And that black and white photo from halftime of the first Super Bowl, as the exhausted quarterback in white uniform caked with mud and blood, sitting on a folding chair with a cigarette in his mouth and a bottle of Fresca at his feet, perfectly captured a time and place. And it perfectly captured a man who embodied poise and self-assurance. Dawson was born June 20th, 1935, in the Depression, the ninth of 11 children who filled the house of James and Annie Dawson, a blue-collar manufacturing town of Alliance, Ohio. Three-sport athlete at Alliance High School, set records in football and basketball, and then went on scholarship to Purdue. He led the NCAA in passing efficiency as a sophomore, also while playing defense and kicking. Helped lead a memorable upset of Notre Dame during the 1954 season, 
By the end of his college career, Dawson had thrown for more than 3,000 yards. Despite playing in an era that favored ground and pound football, he was chosen by Pittsburgh in the first round of the 57 draft. That's about the time they had a guy, uh, Steelers, around that time. No, it was before then that they had uh, Johnny Unitas, and the Steelers got rid of him too. <laughs> but anyway, uh, let's see. He ultimately found success with the Chiefs, hung his helmet up after the 75 season, retired with 28,000-plus career passing yards, 239 touchdowns. Actually, it was 28,711. All but 204 yards and two touchdowns came with the Chiefs. He was married to his high school sweetheart, Jackie, from 1954 until her death in 78, and together they had two children. His second wife, Linda, remained by his side when Dawson entered hospice care. Wow. I tell you, he was one of my favorite players to watch when I was a kid. And what a broadcaster. I mean, in the days where people thought jocks couldn't do a lot of stuff, he was a very intelligent man. Could do anything he set his mind to. So how close was Tom Brady to playing in Las Vegas? Pretty darn close, if you believe recent reports. A chagrin, Derek Carr was asked again yesterday. He was immune to stories about his future as the Raiders quarterback in the wake of the assertion this past weekend by UFC President Dana White that he himself had brokered a deal for Brady to come to the Raiders in 2020. By now, Carr says, I would hope I'm okay with this. It is what it is. White, on the UFC with the Gronks broadcast Saturday night, was asked by Rob Gronkowski to talk about this. And here's White's quote. I worked to put that deal together for Brady and Gronk to come to the Raiders. It was almost a done deal. And at the last minute, John Gruden blew the deal up and said that he didn't want him and all hell broke loose. Man, it was crazy. And Brady was already looking at houses. It wasn't said yet that Gronk was going to be coming, so Las Vegas would have had Brady and Gronk the year the Bucks won the Super Bowl, except Gruden blew the deal up, end quote. Gruden has signed a 10-year deal to coach the Raiders in 2018, resigned after five games last season for comments he made. It was in June of 2021 when Brady, on HBO's The Shop, said there was a team that had initially shown interest in him in free agency before shutting it down. John Gruden should have been fired just for that. Anyway, golf, if it's true. Golf news. Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy recently met to discuss ways to fight the Live Tour, taking all the golfers away. I want you to kill all the golfers. One of their suggestions is for the PGA Tour to stage one-day events where golfers compete against each other for lots of money. Hmm, sounds familiar. You know what all this proves, boys and girls? Monopolies stagnate everything they touch. Competition, which is what the Live Tour is bringing, creates change and improvement a good amount of the time. Golf is going to be better for this if they don't screw it up. And don't underestimate that. Hawks news. TMZ reports that Hawks player Bogdan Bogdanovich is an all-star at party. NBA stars Nikola Jokic and Boban Marijanovic went all out for Bogdan's 30th birthday party, raging their faces off, according to TMZ, with their National Hoops teammates. The Serbian trio hit up the Lafayette Cuisine Cabaret Club in Belgrade, Belgrade. Hold on a second. Alexa, where is the city of Belgrade? The city of Belgrade is a city in no. Serbia. Did that answer your question? All right. I don't know. Belgrade may be different than Belgrade. It's spelled differently. Maybe it's a, maybe they changed the damn thing. Like they changed, uh, what was the Ukraine? They changed Kiev to something else. I don't know. Uh, they had live music, dancing, singing, chugging out of massive champagne bottles. The party scene was captured by Jokic's wife. <laughs> and then he showed the guy all of them drinking. 
On top of Bogdan's cake day, Jokic has a lot to celebrate. He just inked that five-year 264 Supermax extension, the richest contract in NBA history. I don't think I've ever seen the guy play a, play a minute. He plays for the Nuggets. Whoever watches that? Uh, anyway, they say NBA players are at the top of our party bucket list, says TMZ. And it looks like Kevin Durant has changed his mind again. Well, it's Wednesday. He does that more than the teenage girl in front of a mirror. He now wants to stay and play in Brooklyn for the Nets. A bored nation shrugs its shoulders. On this day, August 24th, 1877, American outlaw John Wesley Hardin, which I may be related to, wanted for murder, is arrested by Texas Rangers on a train in Pensacola, Florida. I don't how first of all, the question is, how do Texas Rangers have any jurisdiction in Florida? Two, well, back in those days they would just go and kidnap people and bring them back to the state. Anyway, uh, the only reason this is the British guy thinks this is a sports thing because he mentions the Texas Rangers. 1912, New York City ticker tape parade for Jim Thorpe and victorious U.S. Olympians. 1972, Gordie Howe and Jean Beliveau Jean inducted into the Ice Hockey Hall of Fame as opposed to the Concrete Hockey Hall of Fame. 2006, after signing a one-day contract with the 49ers, uh, Jerry Rice officially retires from the NFL. 2008, the star-studded American men's basketball team, led by LeBron and Chris Paul and Kobe, win the gold medal at the uh, Beijing Olympics, Peking Olympics, with a relatively narrow 118-107 to 107 win over Spain. And also in 2018, the French Open tennis has banned Serena Williams' black Nike cat suit meow, from future tournaments, citing respect for the game and the place. Hmm. Birthdays on August 24th that you share. 1887, Harry Hooper. Hall of Fame right fielder, won World Series in 1912, 15, 16, and 18 with the Red Sox. Born in Bell Station, California, he died in 1974. August 24th, 1890, Duke Kahanamoku. No, Duke Kahanamoku. Duke Kahanamoku, American swimmer, surfer, Olympic gold winner, and the 100-meter freestyle in 1912. I wonder if he had the ticker tape parade in New York. Also in 1920. Uh, won in the freestyle relay 4x200 meters in 1920. Born in Honolulu, died in 1968. This is the guy who brought the, the sport and cult of surfing to Southern California. This guy is a god in Hawaii. 1952, Mike Shanahan was born. He coached the Broncos, uh, born in Oak Park, Illinois. 1960, Cal Ripken Jr., Hall of Fame shortstop. Of course, he has that consecutive game streak record, played for the Orioles. Born in Havre de Grasse, Maryland. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. Uh, 1965, Reggie Miller played for the Pacers, Olympic gold in 96 here in Atlanta. Born in Riverside, California, the, the thorn in the side of Spike Lee. 1968, Tim Salmon, outfielder for the California Angels, holds a lot of their records until Mike Trout came along. Salmon, Trout, I'm seeing a trend here. Born in Long Beach, California. 1978, former Brave Rafael Furcal. Dominican baseball player, born in Loma de Cabrera, Dominican Republic. A very fast, great arm. In 1986, Nick Aidenhart, baseball player, born in Silver Spring, Maryland, died in 2009 in a car accident. I think he had just pitched for the Angels and was leaving the ballpark and riding in a car and uh, got killed in a car accident. It was very, very sad. The Angels, they've had some weird stuff, and now the owner's going to sell. So... Anyway, dead people on August 24th, 1991. Abel Kivlot, 
U.S. 1,500-meter runner, won the Olympic silver in 1912. Wonder if he was also at the parade. Died at 99. 2001, we lost Hank Sauer. Left fielder, was the national MVP and home run leader and RBI leader in 1952. An all-star in 50 and 52, played for the Cubs. Died of a heart attack. He was 84. 2011, Mike Flanagan, a pitcher. He was born in 1951. Has a quote, I could never play in New York. The first time I ever came into a game there, I got in the bullpen car and they told me to lock the doors. <laughs> uh, he was the last man to pitch at Baltimore's Memorial Stadium, suffered from depression for 20 years, and finally took his own life by shooting himself. He was just 59 years old, Mike Flanagan. 2021, last year. By the way, we lost Charlie Watts, the Stones drummer. It's been a year. That just blows my mind. It's been a year. Uh, and both Mick Jagger and Ron Wood. I haven't seen Keith Richards yet, but I'm sure he's put something out. They've all put stuff out on social media, retrospect of Charlie's life and everything. It's pretty cool. And last year we lost Jerry Harkness, College Basketball Hall of Fame point guard at Loyola of Illinois. Played for the Knickerbockers and the Pacers, dead at the age of 81. So let's do some Pete's tweets here. Get the Pete's tweets music going which is just me humming whatever comes to mind. By the way, I think the Braves signed Michael Harris while I was gone. That's a great deal. I think it's a very good deal. This, this kid, he reminds me a lot of Jason Hayward, but I think he's going to be better. Let's knock on wood there. Hopefully that's wood. I don't know what's wood anymore. It's all plastic, fiberglass. So here's what Jeff Passan, the sports writer, says, how to keep a core together by the Braves. Austin Riley is signed through 2032, Matt Olson 2030, Harris 2030, Acuna 28, Vaughn Grissom 2028, Albies 2027, Strider, Spencer Strider 2027, Contreras 27, Cal Wright 2026, and Max Freed 2024. Now they got to sign Dansby. they got to do something with Zansby. Here's something that absolutely... I don't understand the seltzer craze. My nephews are into it. I don't get it. I've never liked seltzer. It's disgusting. And someone has summed up what White Claw tastes like. White Claw tastes like you're drinking TV static while someone screams the name of a fruit from another room. <laughs> That's the best description yet. Uh, but, uh, Mike Puma of the New York Post covers the Mets. He was down here in Atlanta when uh, the Braves' Matthew Kaminsky organist was trolling. Thanks to Braves' organist trolling Brandon Nimmo, I can't get somewhere beyond the sea out of my head this morning. It's haunting me. There are worse songs to have in your head. Somewhere beyond the sea. Who, who did that? Robert. Um, God, I had this right on the tip of my. Darren. Bobby Darren. Anyway, da, 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 da. Ba, ba, ba. Oh, Marcel Azuna arrested for DUI. I wonder if that happened while I was gone. Anyway, uh, Kalen said, I'm not sure why he got arrested. He wasn't at risk of hitting anything. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I actually posted, Ozuna likely has seen his last at bat as a brave, and some smartass, I forget the name, said, well, that didn't age well. I said likely. Turned out he is batting. Not cold in the middle. No, that's not sports. Uh, Dan says, in Ozuna's defense, he's taken many a fly ball to the head. <laughs> oh, what else we got here? By the way, Craig Ferguson's coming to the Variety Playhouse in October, and I have purchased a ticket. I'm going to see that. Variety Playhouse, down there in Little Five Points. 
is a great place to to take in a show. It really is. Let's see. The Grapes played there a few years ago. Uh, here's a headline that jumps out. Yellowstone Park provides update on foot found floating in hot spring. This sounds like something in Resident Alien. This is some bullshit. Uh, we Don't Know Sports posted this. Every time a guy steps out of the box and adjusts his batting gloves for two minutes, I'm reminded that Hank Aaron hit 755 homers using dirt. College football rules. Oh, watch this. Oh, Flounder sending me something, which is interrupting my podcast. Uh, college football rules that we need since it starts this weekend. Number one, this is according to Joe. Don't call me at any time on Saturday. Number two, if for some reason you decide to text me during a game, it had better be to ask me, did you see that? To which I will reply, what do you think? Number three, if someone is dying, call 911 before you call me. They are more likely to answer. <laughs> Number four, if someone has already died, do not call me. There is nothing I can do. There's no need for both of us to be sad. And number five, if you are confused about my availability until January, please refer back to rule number one. What else we got here? The last adult actor from uh, It's a Wonderful Life has died. Virginia Patton Moss was 97. She was George Bailey's sister-in-law. I think I said daughter-in-law earlier on the camera show. It, it, remember his brother went off to war, became a hero, and saved all those people and led the life that George Bailey wanted, uh, Jimmy Stewart. And his brother came back, and he was married to this beautiful blonde. Uh, that was her, Virginia Patton Moss. Mm, uh, Joel Sherman is a guy at the New York Post who had this story. Mets feel-good story, far from assured, happiest ending, thanks to Braves. <laughs> uh, let's see, a couple days ago, they were talking about Michael Harris, the second. Since he's joined the team, the Braves are 56 and 23. That's the most win in Major League Baseball since May 28th. That's when he debuted. He has a 286 average, an 833 OPS, and 15 steals. That was two days ago. They all rank in the top three among rookies. 394 average in late games and close games. In the seventh inning or later, he's tied or one run game. He has got a 394 average. That was before the last two games. Uh, let's see. Uh, beating the pressure, OPS leader since the All-Star break, Albert Pujols, who hopefully will get to 700, says he's, he's going to retire even if he's 699. That would be sad. Albert Pujols at 1.462. Then you got Aaron Judge at 1.257. Thank you, Aaron, for beating the uh, Mets twice. Uh, Cardinals Paul Goldschmidt is 1.213. Then you got Vaughn Grissom at 1.092. Pretty good. Uh, officials from the Little League World Series released a statement a Monday after ESPN's broadcast of Sunday Night Baseball during MLB Little League Classic showed footage of players wearing jerseys from the Midwest region sticking pieces of cotton into a black player's hair. Officials said there was no ill intent. Of course, I was, I was watching it, and I've got, oh, God. Now, you know that the whiners and the wokies out there are going to start bitching about this, and sure enough, they did. And they were making the kids were just pulling the stuffing out. They didn't even think about it being cotton. They were pulling the stuffing out and, and having fun with their teammate by putting stuff on his hair. Holy cow. It's just they're kids. And thank God they were from Iowa. Because if they were from Georgia, we'd never hear the end of it. I'm telling you. But, but you know, when it happens outside the South, it's an isolated incident. But when it happens inside the South, 
It's pervasive throughout the culture. Got to remember that. Those, those are the rules, according to the uh, mainstream media. Remember a few years ago when George Correct Jake Fromm was drafted and everyone said he was going to be a starter? And I said, whoa, 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 hold on a second. He'll be lucky if he's uh, holding a clipboard for eight years, making a good living. And everybody said I was crazy. Uh, well, Dogs 24-7 says that Jake Fromm has stepped away from football for now. He's come back to Georgia to take classes to mull over his future. Spent two seasons in the NFL, but has not signed with anybody this year. The Bills selected him out of Georgia, the 167th pick in the fifth round of the 2020 draft. They released him last August. So, uh, hopefully he catches on somewhere. I'm trying to think of one other here. If any other sports. Oh, yeah, the Braves. All right, let me find that thing here. The Braves. Uh, Olsen had two doubles. Uh, Dansby Swanson had a double. Contreras had a home run. Olsen, in the eighth inning, had a grand slam. Uh, let's see. Uh, Cunha and Contreras each had five total bases. And uh, Contreras had two R- oh, that's, so he had two RBIs. He had a solo homer, two. And let's see what else we got here. Pitching. Kyle Wright is now 16-5, and five, went seven innings, two hits, no earned run, one walk. Uh, Matzik, an inning, gave up a hit. And Kirby Yates, an inning, gave up three hits. This guy probably needs to be at, uh, back at Gwinnett. Every time I see him pitch, he gets hit or he's a little wild. I don't think he's ready to come back yet. Uh, had two hits, gave up two runs, two earned, and a walk. So that's not good. So that's uh, Pete's tweets. The state in baseball history, August 24th, 1905. At Philadelphia's Baker Bowl, Ed Rulbach went the distance when the Cubs beat the Phillies in 20 innings, 2-1. to one. The 22-year-old right-handed rookie finished the season's 18-14 and, and an ERA of 1.42. In 1910, Billy Sullivan snagged three baseballs dropped by battery mate Ed Walsh from atop the 555-foot Washington Monument. The White Sox catcher uh, felt the 200 to 300 pounds of force the objects gained in their vertical descent, says, no, I'm not going to catch a ball tossed from a plane. Quit asking me. Now, I'm going to get to some things here. This is one of the weirdest days in baseball history, and you'll f- that's just the start of it. In 1919, in his first start as a member of the Indians since being traded from the Red Sox, right-hander Ray Caldwell is knocked unconscious after being struck by lightning with two outs in the top of the ninth. The 31-year-old free-willing spitballer, that's probably why he got hit because he, he was wet, he was out for about five minutes, refuses to leave the game, needing just one more out for a complete game victory. He gets the final out for a 2-1 win over Philadelphia at Cleveland's League Park. That was the Philadelphia A's. You're telling me the players now are tougher? They may be bigger, faster, stronger, but they're not tougher. That some bitch was hit by. You imagine if someone was hit by lightning, they would clear the field and the stadium. They call the game. This guy says, "No, no, no, I'm finishing the game." 19, that was 1919. Well, we just won a world war. 1940 in Detroit's uh, 12-1 blowout of the team, Red Sox outfitter Ted Williams pitched the last two innings at Fenway Park. He struck out Rudy York on three pitches, allowed one run on three hits. York was a good batter. August 24, 1941, during a doubleheader against the Cardinals, a ragtag group of five musicians dubbed the Dodger Symphony by announcer Red Barber made their Ebbetsfield debut. None of the members can read music, but they performed their zany, atnet, zany antics 
all the time there. 1945, after signing a contract with the Indians for approximately $40,000, World War II veteran Bob Feller threw a 4-2 complete game victory over the Tigers in his first appearance after serving 44 months in the Navy. Rapid Robert wore his familiar uniform number 19, not worn by another tri-player in nearly four-year absence, faced 37 batters, striking out 12. 1951, a thousand fans sitting behind the Browns' dugout using yes and no signs vote on decisions made by the coaching staff. Owner Bill Vex's idea appears to work as St. Louis beat the A's 5-3. Ned Garver got the win. Told you it's a weird day. On that same day in 51, after being demoted to the minor league six weeks before, Mickey Mello returns to the Yankees lineup going one for four with a first inning single off early win in the team's win in Cleveland. The game marked the first time the future Hall of Famer wore the iconic number seven after the team gave his original number six to infielder Bobby Brown, who had worn the num- number in previous seasons. August 24, 1955. A telegram sent to Brooklyn President Walter O'Malley by the Pachog, I'm mispronouncing this, I'm sure, Pachogu Chamber of Commerce offers the team 30 acres or more of dry, flat land and open country in the heart of Long Island's densest Dodger fan concentration. The village's attempt to attract the fleeing franchise to the south shore of Suffolk County will not materialize with the club after exploring many different venues as an alternative Ebbets Field leaves for Los Angeles in 58. And, of course, there was stuff that came out a few years ago, and you can look at the drawings. They were thinking about building a domed stadium in Brooklyn for them. And check it out. It would have been cool. Well before, I mean, the the Astros didn't build the Astrodome to the mid-60s. Uh, 1960, during a dull game, Vince Scully, play-by-play voice of the Dodgers, who recently passed, knowing that many fans in the stands follow the game on transistor radios, asked his listeners to help him surprise third-base umpire Frank Seckery. The ballpark audience responds when the veteran broadcaster tells them, let's have some fun. As soon as the inning is over, I'll count to three, and on three, everybody yell, happy birthday, Frank. <laughs> 1962, Dodgers coach Leo DeRocher suffers a near-fatal allergic reaction to a penicillin injection while in the clubhouse at the Polo Grounds in New York City. Wonder why he was taking a penicillin. Anyway, 1969, the Pilots trade Jim Bouton to the Astros for Rorick Harrison and Dooley Womack. Rorick Harrison was later with the Orioles and was traded to Atlanta in a big trade that sent catcher Earl Williams up there and brought Davey, Davey Johnson to, uh, to the Braves, among others. The reinvented knuckleball pitcher Bowden posted a 2-1 record along with an ERA of 3.91 in 57 games with the Seattle expansion team there for one year. Continues to chronicle the 1969 season for his controversial book, Ball 4, the greatest sports book ever written. August 24, 1971. At Wrigley Field, Ernie Banks hits the final homer of his career and the Cubs lost to Cincinnati. Mr. Cubs' 512th round tripper tied him for 7th place on the list with Eddie Matthews. Did it off Jim McLaughlin, a really good pitcher. A solo shot. 1971, on the same day, Braves outfitter Rico Cardi announces that he has suffered permanent damage to his right eye after an altercation with three police officers in Atlanta. 1973, sitting in the top row, the top row of the bleachers at Cleveland Stadium, John Adams begins a tradition that continues to this day when he bangs on his drum to cheer on the tribe. In 2011, the team paid tribute to the fan favorite in a pregame ceremony commemorating his 3,000th game, including Adams taking a ceremonial swing with his drum at a pitch thrown by Joe Charbonneau. Uh, John Adams would later move to Atlanta and become a famous real estate guy. Just kidding. But he is still, John's, 
famous real estate guy. 1975, Ed Halicki in the second game of a doubleheader sweep. No hits the Mets, 6 to nothing in Candlestick Park. Uh, Halicki will never have a winning season in San Francisco, uh, but he did something to the Mets that day. 1976, at Tiger Stadium, Bill Freehand loved watching him catch. Hit his 200th and final home run and a loss to the White Sox. Finished his career with 100 homers at home and 100 on the road. That's kind of like Stan Musial had uh, the equal amount of hits on the road and in St. Louis. August 24, 1979, the Phillies retired their uniform number one in honor of Hall of Fame outfitter Richie Ashburn, one of the best leadoff hitters, defensive players in the game during 12 years with the Phils. Also played a little bit with the Cubs and the expansion Mets. He was a broadcaster for the Phillies until he died in 97, 1997. 1985, Don Baylor tied an American League record. He was hit by a pitch thrown by Mariner Southpaw Mark Langston in the first inning of the Yankees' victory at the Kingdome. The New York DH gets plunked for the 189th time in his career, tying him with Minnie Minoso, who did it for the White Sox. August 24, 1989, uh, Pete Rose was banned from baseball. Art A. Bartlett Giamatti. The father of the great actor, uh, Paul Giamatti, uh, commenting on Pete Rose's lifetime banishment. In the absence of a hearing and therefore in the absence of any evidence to the contrary, I am confronted by the factual record of the Dowd report. And on the basis of that, yes, I've concluded that he bet on baseball. Pete Rose said, regardless of what the commissioner said today, I did not bet on baseball. And then he lied about it for decades. He finally came clean a while back. 1999, Ken Griffey Jr. joins Babe Ruth. Ralph Kiner, Duke Snyder, Ernie Banks, Harmon Killebrew, and some cheater named McGuire as the only players to hit 40 homers in four consecutive seasons. The Mariners' outfitter goes deep in the team's win over the Tigers at Safeco Field. August 24, 2001. The wives of the three iron workers who died in 1999 when a crane collapsed during construction of Miller Park in Milwaukee unveil Teamwork, a three-figure, 12-foot-high bronze statue honoring their husbands, Jeffrey Wisher, William DeGrave, and Jerome Starr. Hmm. 2006, Sean Casey probably becomes the first player in baseball history to ground out to left field. I know he was slow, but come on. The unique 5-7-3 play is the result of the batter starting to head back to the dugout, thinking his liner is caught on the fly when the ball glanced off White Sox third baseman Joe Creedy's glove, reaching left fielder Pablo Ozuna, whose throw to first base barely beats the runner to the bag. How embarrassing. 2007, a day after protests concerning the sale of gang-related items occur in East Harlem, uh, MLB's official cap manufacturer, New Era, announces the removal of the offending headwear, which bears the colors and symbols of the Bloods, the Crips, and the Latin Kings. Unknown to the Yankees, white teen caps wrapped with red and blue bandanas appeared to represent the Bloods and Crips, with a black hat bearing the iconic interlocking NY embroidered with a crown symbolic of the Latin Kings also was available for sale. <laughs> I'd love to have one of those. I wouldn't wear it, but I'd love to have one to display. August 24, 2007, after waiting four hours and one minute to start the contest because of rain, the Yanks and Tigers begin an 11-inning marathon, takes four hours and 24 minutes. The last pitch results in a three-run walk-off round-tripper by Detroit shortstop Carlos Guillen is thrown at 3.30 a.m. It sends several thousands of fans at Comerica Park home listening to Lionel Richie's all night long as they exit the ballpark. <laughs> I told you, this is a weird day in baseball history. In 2007, the same day, Padres starter, yeah, that's right, Padres starter Greg Maddox, 
the first pitcher to win 10 games in 20 consecutive seasons when he tosses seven solid innings, the team's route of Philadelphia at Citizens Bank. The right-hander compiles a 339 and 196 record during the streak with 196 victories earned while hurling for the Braves. Thanks to Saturday Down South, ESPN, On This Day, National Pastime, Awful Announcing, Bro Bible, and everybody else that helped me out with this. Really do appreciate that. Let's check Twitter for Let You Go. This has been a long one today, but it should be since I was off for a week. Twitter, Twitter, yes, I remember Twitter. Here we go. Let's see if anything's coming up here. Um, Paul Bird, who covers the Braves now. There have been 66 home runs hit into the Allegheny River. So it is the Allegheny. Matt Olson is the first Brave to accomplish the feat, and he did it with a grand slam. I am tweeting that right now so you can watch him actually do that. What a massive blast. Not a lot of people at the ballpark there. What a beautiful city and beautiful ballpark. He hit it there on the fly, it looks like. It doesn't look like it bounced. Let me look closely at this again. Let me see if it bounces. Come on, stupid thing. There's the ball, there's the ball, there's the ball, there's the ball. It might have bounced before, but it may not have. Oh, man. Codify says, Matt Olson has 169 homers in 701 games. Willie Mays hit 169 homers in his first 701 games. McGuire hit 169 in his first 701 games. That is a hell of a stat. Codify. I don't know who you are, but I am now following you. <laughs> Hell of a stat there. Uh, Olsen now has 66 RBI since the start of June. That's the most in the majors. Aaron Judge has 65 over that span. Unbelievable. Justin Prestigard just sent an old photo of Ken Stabler in his prime. He's driving a speedboat. And he's literally, the entire speedboat is out of the water. And by the way, uh, Stabler is shirtless. It looks like he doesn't have any pants on either. He's in a speedboat, and the entire boat is out of the water. He's going so fast. It looks like he just hit a ramp. <laughs> All right. All right. I don't see anything else jumping out. Six homers. Let's, uh, Matt Olson has six homers and 17 RBIs in the Braves' last 14 games. According to David O'Brien. Hmm. Oh, it's Happy Snake Wednesday. Okay, that's why they're doing all the Ken Stabler stuff. Uh, David O'Brien also says that Mike Soroka makes his third rehab start Saturday for the Braves' uh, Gwinnett affiliate against Lehigh Valley up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, made famous, of course, by Billy Joel. Bryce Harper will be batting against him. So that's pretty Pretty interesting. Harper hit two home runs in his first rehab stat, so now the Braves are going to have to face him at the end of the year here. Maybe he'll do what he did last year when the Phillies came in here and he went like 0 for 11 or something like that. Now that I've cursed him. All right, not seeing anything else there. So let me jump over to ESPN for a headline. Then I'll let you go. See you on Wednesday, the good Lord willing. Uh, let's see, any headlines jumping out here? Nothing too fancy. Uh, nothing too fancy at all on that. Oh, by the way, the Braves will open the season next year against the Nationals. I don't know if it's here or up in D.C., but the Nationals will be the first thing they do. Everybody, have a great couple of days. <laughs> Hope you had a great week. And uh, drink up, Shriners. <laughs>